All right, good to see everybody. There's a lot of new faces. Uh, yeah, some of you guys I've never seen before, but welcome. <laughs> Hope you guys are blessed today. So I want to introduce um, and just welcome our sister Shine, uh, her uncle, who's a pastor from Maryland. I don't know his name very well. I don't, actually don't know his name, but uh, he, Mr. Pastor Kim, yes, he's visiting from Maryland, and he wanted to visit us today, so I want to welcome him. Hello. <laughs> Is, is your mom here? Oh, no, she's not here. So welcome. My wife's from Maryland. She, Ellicott City. She grew up there. You guys should talk. <laughs> um, next week, Mina and I and Ethan, Mina, Mina, Ethan, and I, my English teacher, uh, we will not be here. Uh, Mina and I were invited to be the guest speakers at our Itaewon campus's leadership retreat. So it's going to be on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So they're gonna be, uh, we're gonna be going out. Uh, it's the first time that I get, it's like the second time I was actually invited to speak, but it's the first time that I'm actually getting flown out. Um, because my last Hagwon class ends at 6 on Friday, the only way that I can get there in time to preach is on an airplane. So I'm gonna be flying out Friday evening, um, right after my class. So, um, pray for us. Keep us in prayer. Uh, we really, we really wanna see, you know, revival coming over your Itaewon, and I, I believe that uh, we carry here at Busan, we carry something, you know, not because of anything that is special, but, you know, God deposit different, deposits different things into different places. And so I believe that we carry something that uh, we can really bless Itaewon with. And so please keep us in prayer. Um, so I, I, this past week, I was really, for the last couple of weeks, I was really asking God what I should preach on. And I was like, I, you know, I spent a lot of time just like, God, what is it that, What's the direction that you're really bringing us? What, where are you really wanting to shepherd our hearts into? In what direction? You're here today. I was looking for you. I don't know why I said that. Sorry. <laughs> I have a gift for you. That's all right. But was like, I was asking Lord, like, what are, where are you, uh, where are you bringing us into? And uh, we have mission trips coming up. Uh, begin at the end of this year, going into the beginning of next year. We're going out to 16 countries all around Asia, Southeast Asia. We have about. Uh, Close to 20 people raised up here that are going out to the nations. And uh, as you guys know, uh, we have leadership training that's starting today. Um, there's a, a, about seven, eight of you guys, and it's still open. So if you guys today, first day, you guys feel like, man, this is great. His sermon is fantastic. And I really feel like I should, you know, you, you, know, you guys could still have an opportunity to be trained up. Um, and so, yeah, but I was, I was praying to God, like, what is the direction that you're really taking us, God? And uh, he was really, like, bringing me into a place where he wants hunger in us. He wants us to hunger. You know, physical hunger makes us act differently. You guys know that. You know, like, it makes us think differently. Physical hunger gives us different priorities. My wife knows this. Because when, when I'm hungry, I think very differently. And I act very differently. You know, like, you know, when I'm hungry, she says that I have a one-track mind. And even everything else just kind of falls to the wayside. And in a sense, it's kind of true sometimes. You know, like I have a student named Harry. When I go to school at Harry, Anastasia knows Harry. Harry is the bane of my existence at school. He is the kid that would do something crazy, stupid right in front of you. And when you're like, Harry, why did you do that? He's like this. It's a kid that laughs when you're trying to scold him. And 9 o'clock, I'm fine. I can handle Harry. No, I, I, I'm a good teacher. Now, Harry, he'll, he'll do something silly. I'm like, oh, that's all right, Harry, you know. But come about 11.30, my patience with him runs real thin. And, when, and, and I can feel, like, my hunger sets in. I was like, man, I'm so hungry. And I can, smell our, I can smell our cook making the food in the kitchen. And then Harry will do something. And I'd be like, Harry. And, like, the wrath of God comes down upon him. He's like, oh, you're so nice this morning. Hunger changes us. Hunger gives us like different ways of thinking. And then spiritual hunger is no different. In the same way, spiritual hunger can have a profound effect on how we live our lives. How we think. How we prioritize. And ultimately, hunger, our spiritual hunger, gives us a new way that we can live. Today, I want to talk to you about hunger. But not just hunger, but a spiritual truth that must accompany hunger. There's a spiritual truth that must accompany hunger, and that's expectation. Everybody say expectation. expectation. 
expectation. Yes. My favorite food is Mexican food. Yes. I grew up in L.A. I went to Young Knock Presbyterian Church uh, near Echo Park, right on Broadway Street. And we used to have a, a, a Mexican um, taco stand. It, was like a, it literally was like a stand, but it was like kind of like a, a, like a shack that made into a restaurant. And the only place you can eat is you can eat outside. And it was called Carnitas Michoacan. <laughs> and I haven't been in the States since 2003. And the one thing, if somebody asks me, what do you, what do you want to eat in America? And the only thing that comes to my mind is Carnitas Michoacan. It's the only thing. There's a, a deep hunger that I have for this burrito. Because I've eaten burritos all around the world. No, not all around the world. All around California. Even in Mexico. San Diego, I would, I, I've eaten burritos in a lot of places, but there, there's this, there's something special about this place, you know, and then I'll talk to my old young knack friends, you know, on Facebook, and then I was like, you remember that place? They're like, yes, this is the greatest burrito in the world. It really is. I used to buy three. Even when I was like in like high school, I was buy three, and I used to eat one at church, and then I say, I'm, I'm going to eat one in the afternoon, and I'm going to save one for when I go home. And then I would be on the way, I'd drive it home. I'd be like, oh man, I can't wait. And I'd be on the, I'd be on the 110 freeway eating my burrito in the car. But it is like one of the best, it's like my favorite food. And there's a deep hunger that I still have, because I haven't been to the States in so long, that I have a hunger for Carnitas Michoacan. But say, there, if there was an amazing person of God that told me that, you know what, Pastor Caleb, I'm in LA right now, I'm standing in front of Carnitas Michoacan, and I'm gonna buy you three burritos. And I'm going to get on an airplane, and I know it's going to be a little bit like old, but I'm going to bring you three Carnitas Michoacan burritos, and I'm on my way now. If I knew that fact, my hunger would change. Do you know that? My hunger would change. It would go from hunger into a place where now I have hope, and I have expectation. And, And hunger and expectation mixed together is a thing of faith. It really is is what makes our hunger like powerful. It can actually bring about transformation in the way that I think when I know that there's expectation there. When there's an expectation that I'm going to eat this delicious burrito with their spicy hot sauce and the cilantro and the onions. Mm, if, if I knew that it was coming, it would be a different story. And in the same way, I want to talk to you about today about hunger. Hunger, but it needs to be coupled with expectation. Now, why don't you guys turn your Bibles to Mark 5. Mark 5, 25, verses, verses 25 to 34. And I'm going to read to you the story of the woman who had the issue of blood. And I'll read it to you. And there was a woman who had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she, had, she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And and looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And this woman, she had an issue of blood. And she not only had to deal with this sickness, but also had to carry the stigma of being unclean. I, I did a little bit of issue, uh, like a research on this woman with the issue of blood. And it's all biblical. And when I read it, I was horrified. And so I'm going to read it to you, okay? Under the Mosaic Law, the woman with an issue of blood, referring to menstrual or postpartum bleeding. This is just you women like, like, this is just a description of you guys, right? Thank God for the new covenant. This is just what it says in Leviticus 15. I'm just going to be real with y'all. This is what it says in the Bible under the Mosaic law concerning just regular women like you guys, right? 
And who had, so, and, I, and there was, oh wait, where am I? Under the Mosaic law, a woman with an issue of blood referring to a menstrual or postpartum bleeding was considered unclean and was put apart for seven days. During this time, anything she lay on or sat on was considered unclean. Meaning that if anyone touched one of those things, he would wash, he would have to wash his clothes and bathe in water to become clean again. Also, during this time, if any man was sexually intimate with her, he was found also unclean for seven days and must adhere to the same sort of setting apart as a woman. And actually, the guidelines for a man who has an issue of blood or who was unclean were more strict than for women. And it's, all of this is found in Leviticus 15. And so just for just you guys, you know, you guys have, what do you guys call it, Amflo or Miss Flo that comes? You, know, you guys, just that time of the month, you guys were considered unclean for seven days. You know, and I, I'm, I'm, I feel okay to talk about this because I'm married now. And I got, I got to deal with this on a regular basis, right? And, and like, thank God for the new covenant because, you know, you guys are beautiful and you guys are amazing. And this is just a part of what makes you guys amazing. When I had Ethan, I realized, man, menstrual cycles are important. <laughs> I realized that. I really did, because my wife has a very regular menstrual cycle. And it was really easy. I shouldn't be airing this out, but I'm it. It's, it's just, it was really easy for us to conceive. And I realized, man, it's, it's so precious. It's so important, right? But according to the... According to the Bible, under the old Mosaic law, this is what you were, you for seven days out of the month, you were unclean. Anybody that touched you was unclean and had to go bathe in a river, right? This is just regular, regular women. You go on and when you read, it says, under the Mosaic law, also specified that if a woman had an issue of blood that lasted longer than seven days, that all the days of her issue were considered unclean. And she must be treated as such. This means that if she... If she had this issue for about two weeks out of the month, and, and this, this woman that was writing this said there's like a, there's a disease that women have and suffer with, that, this, that sometimes they bleed for up to two to three weeks out of the month. It drains them of all of their energy, and it just, like, it just wrecks their lives, and they can't do anything about it. She would be set apart. So like, if you look at this woman, she suffered this, with this horrible disease for 12 years. It's a physically debilitating disease for 12 years. And, and throughout the 12 years, she was considered unclean. Okay? She was like a pariah. You guys know what a pariah is? Like an outcast. Okay? It's like the, the class of India that, like, that was like the lowest of class. It, she's like, if she had a husband, he would have divorced her. And, and she couldn't have children because her children, if she touched her, would be considered unclean. So this was a debilitating disease that affected her not just physically, but socially, culturally, religiously, in every way possible. And she was truly an outcast. And she had gone through countless physicians and spent all of her money, and none of them were of any help. And somewhere along the 12 years, she probably had lost hope. Lost hope on being healed. And then one day she hears about this man, Jesus. Not only does this raise up hope in her, but there's like a faith that rose up in her. There's a hunger that was developed in her. There was an expectation. Because if you look at how she acted, she was like, I don't have to tell him anything. I don't even have to meet this man. He doesn't even have to know I'm alive. All I know is that if I go and fight through the cloud, and if I could just reach out, and if I can just touch just a little bit of his garment, I'm going to be healed. She said, man, I just, I don't, he doesn't even have to know who I am. I just have to reach out. I know there was an amazing confidence behind her action. And it was a confidence that came from knowing the truth and having an expectation of that truth. So she sees him in the crowd and she's fighting her way through and she reaches out. And at that moment, as she reached, she's reaching out, she's like, oh, I just need to touch the, 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 because there's a big group around Jesus. It's not easy to get to him. And he's fighting through. And she's fighting and she doesn't care if other people think she's ugly. She's like, I, got, I just got to go. I just got to touch his, his garment. And she was reaching out at that moment. And she wasn't reaching out for a man. She was reaching out for God. She didn't even know it. But she was reaching out for the gospel of Christ. 
Because he's saying he is the Christ. This man, this man, this, this man is all I need. And then, and in that hunger for this man, there was an immense expectation that she had. She knew, she was confident that she was going to be fully healed. And I'm here to tell you today that your hunger and your expectation for God can move God to action. Your hunger and expectation for God can move God to action. Because didn't, Jesus didn't even know. She didn't know this woman. But at that moment, she's like, he's like, bam, what happened? And his disciples like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, who touched me? The man, everybody touching you. Can't you see the people all around you? Like, no, there's power has left me. Who touched me? Her expectation and just the hunger and just anticipation to encounter the, the living God brought God to action. It's just an amazing truth. This is the amazing truth about how powerful our hunger can be. How powerful our, our, our desire for God can be. And not just our desire for God, but an expectation that we, that's faith. Expecting things to be. Expecting things to be there. Even if they don't see it in the natural. Expectation of God can change God's heart. It can change Him to action. This is an amazing truth. There's another man in the Bible. His name is Cornelius. I preached on him before. I did a series on the book of Acts. and He was a centurion. I'm going to read to you about Cornelius, the centurion. He's had, I think, honestly, out of all of, you know, with all the... The characters in the New Testament, minus like the apostles, he is one of my favorite characters. Because what he did, and the, way, and the story that I'm going to tell you about this man is amazing. And it even affects us today. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 10. i got to make sure that I don't go over today. Book of Acts chapter 10. 10. I'm going to start reading. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one, he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having re- related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Next time we meet this man, Cornelius, he's a centurion. Okay? He's a centurion. He's a non, he's a he's a Gentile. So he's a non-Jew. And you guys know, you know, Jewish culture, Jews at that time had nothing to do with Gentiles. It really seriously, really nothing to do with Gentiles. And we know that he's an Italian. You know, and so you know, he probably liked pizza and pasta. He's an Italian, but he was stationed in Caesarea. Caesarea is near Jerusalem. Okay, he was he's a, he's a long way from home. So the Roman centurion, meaning he was in charge of 100 men, 80 fighting men, and then 10 military servants. Okay, in six centuries, would make up a cohort. And this is the cohort okay, uh, of, of six centuries. So, so 100 men times you know, six. So this is a, a cohort. And then uh, I think six of those become a, a, a legion. Okay, so this is what like the Roman military system looked like. Okay? And a senior ranking centurion who led the cohort, the senior ranking centurion out of, out of the, the centurions in that cohort would lead that cohort. And then if he fell, the next centurion would, would take his place. And I assume that Cornelius was a high ranking officer because although he was from Italy, it says he and his whole family was with him in Caesarea. So you know this man, he's not just like, even out of the centurions, he's a high, high ranking centurion. He's a man of authority. You know, centurions, they were enlisted men that rose through the ranks. You don't just become a centurion because you want to become a centurion. You don't just 
sign up one day. There's a list that says centurions needed. And you go, oh, I want to be a centurion. Can I be a centurion? All right, here's your armor. Here's your sword. Here's your, here's your spear. Go be a centurion. No, you have to work your way up. And there are stories of like people that bribe their way into becoming a centurion. But you know, those, you know they're not the ones that lasted. Yeah, the ones that really like, like were, the, were the honored men, were honored centurions, they're the ones that started as enlisted men. Okay, and it took them 15 to 20 years to become a centurion. So most centurions, you know, like they're, they're men in their 30s, men in their 40s. They're not young men. Okay, these were hardened men. Okay, to be a centurion, you've got to prove yourself. You have to be militarily skilled, and, and you, gotta, you have to have the mind to lead men. He was a leader. But not only that, he's experienced in war. And so you know he's a man that's killed many people. And not just that, he's a man that's almost died many times. If you go to war and you kill a lot of people, people want to kill you. It's just the way it is. And so he's a man, he's almost died many times. He's come very close to death. And he's a man that's probably seen many of his men die. Many young people that he he was in charge of that, that that were killed in war. He's probably a man of honor. He's a man of character. He was a leader. You know, there's two ways to lead people in, in the world. There's the, 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 you lead with fear, and you lead with honor, and you establish honor in, 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 in his men. And the way that Cornelius is described in the book of Acts, he, see, he, he comes off as being a man of honor. You know, centurions are mentioned in the New Testament a few times, and all of them are like regarded as honorable men. They can always come out in a good light. In Matthew 8, there's, there's the man, he's, Jesus is, is, is traveling and this, this centurion comes up to him and he's like, like my, I have a servant that's sick. He's, he's on his deathbed. Can you heal him? And Jesus is like, alright, take me to your servant. And he's like, no, you don't, you don't have to go anywhere. I can see that you're a man of authority and I too am a man of authority. When I tell a man to go, he goes. And when I tell him to come, he comes. I can tell that you are a man like this. Just say that my servant will be healed and I know that he will be healed. And Jesus says, he tells him, truly I tell you, no one in Israel has, has, have I found such a faith. He's commended as being a man of faith. In Mark 15, when, Drew, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's a centurion. He looks up and says, truly, this was the son of God. These men, having spent so many years of their lives in war and killing, they were searching for redemption. They're searching for truth. And when they saw it, they could recognize it. And that was Cornelius. I believe that he was a man. He, he rose up in the ranks. And he's, he, he spent time in battle, killing, and almost being killed. And he's seen friends die. He's seen young men that he cared about die. And, then, and, and late in his life, he has his family, he has his friends. And he's like, man, there has to be more to this than what I see. There has to be more. So it says in, the, it says in verse 2, He became a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continuously to God. It's weird because all Roman soldiers worshipped the God named Mars. Mars was the most prominent god in the religion of the Roman army. And there were all these festivities and rituals that the Roman army did to worship this god named Mars. And, and although, you know, many people in the Roman Empire worshipped Mars, he was specifically known as, the, as a god of the Roman army. But somewhere along the way, Cornelius, he realized that Mars and all these Roman gods were just statues. That they weren't real. And in search of truth and redemption, he found probably a, a Jewish friend or somebody that, that you know, he trusted. And this man told him about the God of the Hebrews. The God of the Jews. And he's like, man, this, uh, this, this is real. And it wasn't just him. He got his whole family involved. He got his whole family involved. And, he, and even his friends. His, his, it says in, in the thing, in the beginning, it says even he got one of his military like, like friends to go and get Peter. And, he, and, and give, him, give, give him this assignment. He gets his whole, not just his family, not just him, 
but he gets his whole like friends and every like the people that he knows them. They don't care. He doesn't care. He's like, man, I know that I'm supposed to worship Mars, but he's not real. And I found this God. He's the God of the Hebrews, and he starts worshiping him. And right here we see something about Cornelius that should be in all of us. Is that he didn't have a fear of man. He had a fear of the Lord. He didn't care about what his fellow army buddies thought. Because he had a fear of the Lord. And it wasn't like a secret thing that he carried around. He let everybody know. He made sure that everybody know. I hope you guys are getting a better picture of this man, Cornelius. A centurion. He's a man. He's been through some stuff. Now he's like, he's wanting to find more to his life. He's wanting to find meaning into his life. So he prayed to God continuously. It's a praise to a God. He doesn't even fully know it, fully understand. He's like, man, I'm just going to pray to this God. Because I can feel, I can feel this is real. He's real. He's looking for, he's looking for truth. He's like, I can feel him. And he develops a hunger and an expectation for the true God. And he starts to pray to him. He has blood on his hand. He's killed many people. He wants to get it off. He wants redemption. And he hears about the God of the Hebrews. Now I have a question for you guys right here. Is Cornelius saved? Is he saved? He, he, he trusts in God. He knows, in, he knows God. He knows this, this God of the Hebrews. Is he saved? And the answer is no. He knows God, but he doesn't know God. The only way to know God is through Christ. This is going to come. In, this is going to come become a, a pivotal thing later on. So he's not saved. He doesn't. He he doesn't know God through Christ. But does his hunger cause God to notice him? The answer is yes. Does his hunger get God's attention? And the answer is yes. Because the angel of the Lord appears to Cornelius and says to him, "Your prayers and your alms." have ascended as a memorial before God. And that word memorial in Greek is mane masanon. It's translated as which one remembers or that which evokes a memory. In other words, your prayers and alms have evoked God to remember you. Cornelius' prayer, his generosity, ultimately his hunger, is this hunger that he had for truth, this hunger that he had for God, God God's attention. Not only his attention, but he brought God to action. Brothers and sisters, our hungers, our hungers, our hunger <laughs> can move the heart of God. It can move the hand of God. Not just to notice you, but it can move God to action through your hunger. So what does God do? You know, Peter, he's, he's, he's up in the upper room. He's like, can you give me, make me some food? You guys know the book of Acts. He's like, can you make me some food? He's like, oh, they're about to make him some food. And he lays down on this chair and he falls asleep. And he has a vision of like the sheep and all these like crazy animals being raised up like lizards and reptiles. He's like, he hears the voice of the Lord. Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, I, I, Lord, you know I have never touched any impure thing. This mouth has not touched nothing dirty like that, Lord. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've never Lord. And then, he's, and then God's, the Lord says, well, what I have made clean, do not call common. And this happens three times. He's like, kill and eat. No, Lord. How, I, I, I dare not. What I've, called, what I've made clean, don't, don't call common. And then this happens three times. And then he, 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 gets, a, he, he gets a message from the Lord. He's like, there's a, these men are going to come and they're going to take you to this man. I want you to go with them. And then all of a sudden, he's like, is there is Simon in there? He's like, yes, I'm Simon. He's like, oh, is Simon Peter? No, I'm Simon the Tanner. <laughs> Simon Peter, he's upstairs. And he goes upstairs, he's like, man, there's a man. His name is Cornelius. He's sent for you. Can you come? And Peter is like, all right, I will go. So Peter, he walks into Cornelius' house. And he thinks he's going to you know, talk to this one man named Cornelius. Tell him about Jesus. Would be and, and 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 you know like explain to him about the Christ. He walks in there, 
And his whole family and all of his friends are gathered there. He walks into this room and he's is like his extended family, everybody that he knew, that Cornelius knew were gathered. I want us to I want us to read this part, okay? Go to go to Acts. Acts ten. So, okay, I'm going to read a little fast, okay? When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I too am a man. He's like, right when Peter walks in, Cornelius is like, oh, this is God, this is God. He starts worshipping Peter. And he gets his whole family, come on, worship him. This is hunger and zeal. Just He didn't know what he was doing, but he's like, man, if, if this angel and, and this God says, says, this man is coming, I'm just going to worship him. And Peter's like, man, get up. I'm just a man just like you. And it says right here, verse 30. And I love this. It says, Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have, have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He's like, there's this angel that came and said that you're going to come. And so all my, me, and all of my family, we're waiting right here, and we're, we're excited, and we're just waiting for what you have to say. Say it to us. Can you guys see expectation in this guy's heart? He is, he, like, if, if the angel of the Lord came and said, yeah, this man's going to come, he could have just said, okay, I'll just wait for him. He'd come, okay, Peter, can you, what do you have to say? No, he got his whole family involved. He called his friends and come on. I know you like Mars, but there's another God. Just hear him out. Come on, come on. Just, just come to my house. This man, Peter, is going to come in. He's from the God of the Hebrews and he's going he's gonna to tell us something. Just come. I see immense expectation in this man. I see expectancy. So Cornelius and his family, they're waiting on the word of the Lord. And they're waiting with expectancy. What do you have for us? Because we know that God sent you. There's something amazing that you're going to tell us. What do you have for us? There's so much expectancy in his heart. Our hunger can move the heart of God to action. But it needs to be with expectancy. How many of us, of, of us here can, can say that we have an expectancy like that for the Word of God? An expectancy for what we, were, what we read and what we meditate on to be real. And for it to be, take fruition in our lives. For it to actually be truth. And to actually take steps of faith to go out and, 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 and see if it's real. There is so much expectancy, expectancy in this man, Cornelius. Not only was he hungry, but he was expectant. He was ready to receive what God had for him. And this is, this is what happens. I'm going to read to you the rest of Acts 10. And I, I told you that your expectancy, your hunger can move God to action. I want to show you right here what happens. Because Cornelius' hunger... Brought anticipation into God's heart. Okay, look. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Okay? And then he talks about how, oh, you guys know of Jesus Christ. You guys have all heard what's happened uh, in Galilee and throughout Judea. Okay, beginning in Galilee, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God who was with him. Now he's, he's, he's preaching the gospel to them. They know about Jesus, but they don't know about salvation. They don't know about the gospel. But what I see right now is, because right now, what needs to be preached for God to bring down his blessing? What needs to be preached? What, what does Peter have to say from his mouth in order for them to know salvation? The gospel. And God's just waiting. 
He's waiting. He's like, come on, Peter. Get to the part about Jesus. Get to the part about the gospel. And Peter was like, oh, and we are witnesses in all that we did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And God's like, come on, Peter. Get to the part about salvation through the blood of Christ. And he's like, but God, but they put him to death and hanging him on a, on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear, not to all people, but us to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him before he rose from the dead. And God's like, come on, Peter. You're almost there. Get to that part. Get to that part. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged, to be judge of all living and the dead. And God's like, come on. You're there. Just get to that part. For him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And then while Peter was still saying this thing, Holy Spirit fell on him with power. Bam. God's like, that's it. That's the gospel. And he's like, Bush. the spirit of God, boom. And everybody's like speaking in tongues. They're like, oh. Do you see the anticipation? Do you see this picture of God just anticipating on Peter? He's like, come on, Peter, get to the gospel. Right? I know you're talking a lot about yourself and what you did. Get to the gospel. Get to the part about the blood of Christ. And right when it gets there, God just releases the fire. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. It's a powerful thing that our hunger and our expectation could cause anticipation on God's heart to release favor and blessing upon us. Cornelius' hunger and expectation, he brought anticipation to God's heart. This is an amazing truth, guys. We need to be hungry. We need to be expectant. We have to hunger for God. Hunger for His Word. Hunger for His presence. And in that presence, we need to find expectation. We need to expect things. We need to expect God to be there. Our relationship is with the person. And so when we go to that person, we have to expect, God, I'm going to encounter you today. When you come into this church, you got to come in expectation and say, God, I'm going to encounter you today. I want to see you. Because sometimes we come in and we're like, all right, I come, you know, we have, there's no expectations and we just come to do, to sing songs, to listen. That's all great, but there needs to be an expectation that we have. Some of you guys are feel really dissatisfied about your lives, about your encounters with God. Some of you guys are dissatisfied with the quiet times. Some of you guys are just dissatisfied with how God's moving in your life. And it's okay to be dissatisfied, but it's not okay to remain in that place of dissatisfaction. Because it leads to offense. But let that dissatisfaction lead you to hunger. Hunger that leads to expectation. Because Cornelius, he was dissatisfied with Mars. He's like, man, this is Mars. God is, is not doing much for me. I can't feel him. He's dissatisfied and led him to seek and go after truth. Redemption, and he found it. His hunger moved the hand of God. Along the way, he probably, you know, like some man told him about the God of the Jews. And that encounter with that man brought a hunger. It's like, man, there's something real about this God that I'm hearing. And that hunger brought an amazing transformation over him and his whole family. But his hunger brought us into the family of God. You know that? That Cornelius' hunger and his expectation helped you guys to become saved. Because before this, the Jews only preached to the Jews. It's like salvation is only for the Jews. And then right after this, in chapter 11, Peter goes to the, to the church, and they're like, you know what? I went to this guy's Cornelius' house, and you're not even going to believe it, man. There are all these Gentiles there. And I just told them about Jesus, and the Spirit of God came down with fire and power. And like right when they heard the gospel of Christ, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, man. And it says, they were silent for a bit. And then they rejoiced because they're like, oh, I guess salvation isn't just for us after all. That's That's the truth that came from this experience with Cornelius. Is that the, the this, this, this hunger... 
And this desire to encounter God of one man brought a doctrine into the church that brought us all into the covering of Christ. That's an amazing truth. Our hunger and our expectation can change the heart of God. And it's needed. It's a necessity. God uses our hunger. You guys know that? God uses our expectation. So before I close today, I'm going to tell you some things about hunger. The first thing I want you guys to to know is your hunger can't be things from God. Your hunger has to be God, for God. The woman woman, uh, with the issue of bleeding, I know that she wanted healing. She'd been struggling with this for so long. For 12 years, she's been struggling with this. But when she reached out for Christ, it wasn't like, I need healing. She reached out. She's like, I just need Christ. I just need Him. He's all I need. If I can touch this guy's garment, if I can touch his garment, I'm going to be healed. Everything's going to be all right. And what she was seeking after, what she was really hungering for, wasn't to be healed, but it was to touch Christ. Why? Because she didn't tell Jesus that she was sick. She didn't tell Jesus, Jesus... I've been struggling. Let me, let me talk to you, Jesus. Come here, Jesus. Let me talk to you. You know, I, I'm a woman, and I've had this issue of bleeding for 12 years, and you don't even know what I've been through, Jesus. You don't even know. I've struggled with this 12 I, All the money I No. All she did was, I just need Him. I just need an encounter with Him. If I can just touch Him, if I can just be, have an encounter, everything's going to be all right. That's got to be our hunger. Our hunger, it's okay to want things. It's okay to, to pray for them. I'm not saying that praying to Jesus is not right. But our hunger, the sort, the desire of our hunger needs to be Christ. It needs to be God. Because a lot of times we get hungry for God when we need something. You guys have done that before. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, you're so good and I know you love me. And, but Lord, this is, I want to get married, God. And all of a sudden, your hunger for something becomes your hunger for God. And it's not, I'm not saying it's not good to pray for your marriage. These are all things that you need to be praying for. But I'm telling you, the hunger, the, 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 the centrality, the central part of your hunger and your, your expecting needs to be God. And to encounter God, to encounter Jesus. And you see this in Cornelius. Cornelius, right when Peter walks in, he gets on his knees. He's like, oh, I worship him. Because his only desire was to encounter God. He had no other ulterior motive, but he, all he just wanted to encounter this God of the Hebrews that he realizes was real. Our hunger can't be things from God. But our hunger has to be God. It has to be for God and Him alone. The second truth I want to set over you is you don't have to be perfect to have hunger for God. You don't have to be perfect. There's a deception going on that you got to get yourself right before you hunger for God. And you feel, and some, sometimes you guys, some of you guys hear a good sermon, and you guys hear it, and you're like, oh, you guys feel something in your heart. And you guys kind of start like pushing it down. It's like, oh, but, but I'm not right with God. I have sin in my life. I have, I have, I have these issues that I'm struggling with. So <laughs> until that, I can manage that, I'm just, just going to put this hunger at bay. Having sin in your life doesn't disqualify you from having hunger for God. Having, having an expectation for God. The woman with the issue of blood. Everything in her culture said that she was dirty. And she probably had Im- immense shame upon her life. Think about it. For 12 years, everybody around you says, You're dirty. Don't touch any of my stuff. Don't touch me. Don't sit there. Because it, 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 literally, it's like anything that she sits on is considered dirty. Can you imagine the shame that this woman felt? Going around life thinking, Man... Like, I feel so much shame. I feel so dirty. But the minute that she saw Christ, she didn't care. She let all of that go. She said, all I need is Christ. And this hunger rose up in her. And she said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm unclean. It doesn't matter if I have all this shame. All I need to do is reach out. I just need to touch Jesus. And everything's going to be made right. We need that kind of a heart. Some of you guys need... To get out of your, 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 the mentality of sin in your life. 
Yes, some of you guys have sinned. We all have sinned. We got to get over it and know that Christ, the reason why He came was for the sinners. It says, I came for the sick. I came for the lost. It's the sick that needed a physician. Don't disqualify yourself from the hungering after God just because you have issues in your life. But just seek Him. Seek Him. Because God meets you exactly where you are. He doesn't say, all right, I'll encounter you if you get rid of some of these bad habits. right? Todd Beatty, I have immense blessing and a powerful encounter from me until, but until you dress better, <laughs> get a haircut, and then stop, stop doing the, the, the bad things that you know. God meets us where we are exactly, and His whole purpose is to encounter us so that we rise above our, our situation. We rise above our, the, what we're living in. That's the gospel of Christ. You guys have to understand that. He didn't come for he didn't come for people that are all well and put together. He came for people like me. <laughs> Amen. He came for people like me. I am I'm the definition of why Christ came to this, this world. I was man. You all know my if you guys know my testimony, you know I was a horrible person. God came for people like me. A lot of people that have it all together, they read the Bible, they, they, they flee from sin. There's good people put together. They have no hunger. The state of your, the, the condition of your, of your heart isn't, isn't necessarily, like, it's not the, the factor that the judge, like, is dependent upon your hunger. You can be living a perfect life. Going to church every Sunday. Doing your quiet time every day. Those are all good things. You have to do them. You know, never lie. Never do anything to hurt anybody. But you can still not have hunger in your heart. Brothers and sisters, don't disqualify yourself. But when you feel the hunger for the Lord, go after it. Say, God, I need to encounter you. That woman of the issue of blood. Sorry, that's my phone. I forgot to put on vibrate. <laughs> she was reaching out. Not for, not for, not, nothing else mattered. But she just wanted this encounter with Christ. And she had the faith and the expectancy to know that it was going to radically change her life. And I'm telling you, tell you, if you have hunger for God and you just reach out for God and say, God, I just need you. Help me. And you have a real encounter with God, it's going to make your life radically different. I can testify to that. Don't let it disqualify you. Don't, dis- don't disqualify yourself. But hunger after the Lord. And the third point I want to let you guys know is hunger. It starts from... Hunger can only start from a fresh revelation of gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys have to understand that your hunger is contingent not on, you know, things that you're doing. But your hunger is conditioned on one thing. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and a lot of us, we've been in the church for a long time, and we feel like we graduate from the gospel. Now, the gospel is for, you know, it's for when I became a Christian. I learned that Jesus Christ died for my sins, that I was, I was headed to hell. But by his death and his resurrection and by his blood, I'm forgiven. If I believe in him, I'm forgiven. And then when you believed in Christ, you left the gospel there. He said, I'm going to move on to greater and more, more, more advanced things in the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you never graduate from the gospel. The gospel of Christ needs to be a constant reminder in your life. Every day, you need a fresh revelation of the gospel of Christ. If you want to build hunger in your life, get a fresh revelation of the gospel of Christ. Because if you really realize the gospel of Christ... And being eternally separated from God. Eternally separated. Can you imagine? Eternally. And when you guys start thinking about eternity, you start thinking like, man, that's crazy. And then for eternity being separated from God and in hell, 
And then this man, the Son of God, came and died on the cross for my sin, for every bad thing. If I just believe in Him, and I put my hope in Him, I get to go to heaven. That I'm saved from an eternity of damnation. And when that really becomes a truth in your life, when you get a fresh revelation of that, of the power of the gospel of Christ, man, it builds hunger in your life. And you got the hunger that you have, it comes from the gospel. It comes from the gospel. When you realize the power of grace, when you realize that how amazing this thing is that I, I happened to come upon, it's amazing. The gospel will never stop being applicable in your life. Until you, you stand before God in, in, in heaven and Jesus himself testifies on behalf of your name. and say, you know what? She's my daughter. That's when you graduate from the gospel. But until that day, the gospel needs to be that fresh revelation builds hunger inside of us. Brothers and sisters, there's a, it's, there's a new season in, in, in our church. And if you look around, and I talked about this in Sunday Swim this morning, every corner, almost every corner of our church, all the buildings around our church is experiencing revival. See this window right here? The reason why that light is not coming through is because there's a building being built behind us. This building right here, Renovations, new things. Building that, the hotel over there, new things. What is it? Belasita. It's getting a makeover, new things. There's revival happening all around us. And God, it's an example, it's a prophetic word. God is telling us, man, Buzan, get ready. Because there's increase that's coming. There's a transformation that's coming in the lives of you guys. And right now, he's saying, get hungry. Get hungry. Not for what you're going to get, but get hungry for me. Because what's going to help you to steward what you're going to receive is when you get hungry for me. What's going to help you to truly receive everything is when you're hungering and thirsting after me. When you have an expectation on that I'm going to be there. And everything else starts to fall away when you hunger after me. Brothers and sisters... God is telling us, there's a, there's a word over our house, and it's hunger. Get hungry. Get expectant. And know that God's gonna, God is there. He's real. It, it blows my mind. And it all starts from the gospel of Christ. Let's, let's pray.